arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine to the corpse dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance for Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host, Justin, and today we're jumping into Chapter 7, Playing with Fire. So now we're jumping over to Egwene's perspective, and they have arrived, uh, herself and Elaine, have arrived at Rand's, Rand's chambers, and Elaine's kind of dragging her feet about it, <clears throat> and, you know, kind of... Elaine's dressed very seductory, I guess. She's got a long sleeve dress, pale blue silk, cut in the Tyron fashion, pulled low after some little discussion. With a necklace of sapphires like Deep Morning Sky and another strand woven into her red gold curls, showed up in the blue of her eyes. Um, but Egwene wears plain, deep red scarf, like as large as a shawl around her shoulders, and Avienda had supplied that scarf, as well as the sapphires. And she was surprised that the Aiel woman had a tidy store of such things somehow. We'll learn a bit more about Aiel culture as we go. So don't worry, it'll explain it at some point. But if you'd like to, tuck that away for later and it'll explain it later on. But, you know, even though she knew that the Aiel guards were there, Egwene still gets a little startled. And Elaine even lets out a small gasp. But... The sun-darked men didn't really have any effect about, you know, her regal bearing or whatever. And the six were Cheyenne Matal, stone dogs. And they seem to be relaxed, which means, you know, they're pretty much looking everywhere, ready to move in any direction at any time. But, you know, Grain pulls herself up in imitation of Elaine and doing us what she is like, well, I, we want to see the Lord Dragon's wounds and see how they are. And obviously her remark is foolish, because if they knew anything about healing, which was very small, not many people did, but the Aiel probably didn't as well, at least that's under her presumption. But she didn't have any reason to really be here, but they thought she was Aes Sedai, and the Aiel appeared to pretty much spring out of the black marble floor. But it seemed like a good idea, not that they were making a stop to move, or to stop Elaine or her. And we get a little bit of a description of these stone dogs. But these men were all so tall, so stone-faced, and they carried their sh those short spears and horn bows as if using them would be as natural as breathing, and as easy, with those light-colored eyes regarding her so intently. It was all too easy to remember stories of black-veiled Aiel, without mercy or pity, of the Aiel war, and the men like these who had destroyed every army sent against them until the last, who had only turned back to the waste after fighting the allied nations to a standstill during three blood-soaked days and nights before Tarvalon itself. Now, I'd like to point out, this is history from Egwene's perspective. We're probably going to learn something a little different about what happened. But needless to say... The Aiel are really, 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 really strong. So Gaul, you remember Gaul, right? Hung out with Perrin for like one chapter. <laughs> the Stone Dog's leader, 
nods, looks at looks down at Elaine with her with a touch of respect. He's a handsome man in a rugged way, a little older than Nynaeve, with eyes as green and clear as polished gems and long eyelashes so dark they seem to outline his eyes in black. He interestingly was like, well, it might trouble him, but he's in a foul mood in this morning. But then he grins, just a quick flash of white teeth, understanding the temper of a person who's wounded. He has chased off a group of these high lords already and threw one of them out himself. What was his name? And another taller man, than even even taller, I should say, uh, it's like Torion. But he has an arrow knocked with a short curved bow held almost casually, and his gray eyes rested at the two women in front, and then just keeps looking at around to make sure nothing's coming out of the columns and out of the hallway. And goes like, oh yeah, Torian. I thought he would slide as far as those pretty carvings. And he points his spear to the ring of stiff standing defenders. Notice he calls them pretty carvings. But he's like, but he came short by three paces. I lost a good tyrant hanging, all hawks and guild thread, or gold thread, to Mangan. The taller man gives a little brief smile. And Egwene's surprised and kind of like, what? Because the image of Ran physically pitching a High Lord across the floor, and he hadn't been very violent, opposite of that, actually. How much had he actually changed? She'd been so busy with Joya and Amiko. And he'd been busy with Moraine or Lan or the High Lords to do much speak in passing, but a few words from home here and there, and how the Beltine Festival might have gone this year, or the Sunday would be like, but it had all been very brief. How much had he actually changed? And Elaine's like, well, we have to we have to see him. Kind of tremor in her voice. And Gaul makes a bow, grounding the point of a spear into the black marble. He's like, of course, I said I. So Gwaine and Elaine, you know, take those very heavy steps towards his room, but they don't see any evidence of last night's horror, except the absence of mirrors, lighter patches on the wall where the hangings had been taken away. Not really that the room came anywhere near neatness, with books everywhere, and some lying open as if they were abandoned in the middle of a page, but the bed was still unmade. Um, crimson draperies were pulled open all the windows, facing westward towards the river. That was Tyr's heart vein. And Kalendor sparkled like polished crystal on a huge gilded stand surpassing gaudiness. But Egwene thinks it's the ugliest stand she's ever seen. You know, it's pretty bad. But then she glimpsed the silver wolf savaging a golden stag on the mantle above the fireplace. And maybe that's probably the worst thing she'd ever seen. But Rand, sitting in his shirt sleeves, sprawled into a chair with a leg over the arm, with a leather-bound book propped up on his knee. But hearing the sound of footsteps, he snaps the book shut, drops it among the other ones in the scroll-worked carpet, jumps to his feet ready to fight, and a scowl on his face faded as he took in who they are. But the first time in the stone, she looked for changes in him and actually saw some, how many months before she had seen him last. Enough for his face to have grown harder, for the openness that had once been there to fade, he moved differently, too, a little like Lan, a little like the Aiel. With his height and his reddish hair, and eyes that seemed now blue, now gray, as the light took them, he looked all too much like an Aielman, too much for comfort. But inside, how had he changed? He's like, oh, I thought you were someone else. Some... People want things I can't give and things I won't give. What do you what do you want? Did Moraine send you? 
His face with a little su suspicious hardening of his voice. Um, and Gwen just like, don't be a goose. I do not want you to start a war. And Elaine's like, we came to help you if possible. And he's like, you know what the plans for... Oh, help me? How? That is what Moraine says. He's a little rough on that. And of course, Egwene, you know, folds her arms beneath her breasts, holding the scarf tight in the way that any of you used to address the, the village council when they she meant to have her way, no matter how stubborn they were. It was a little bit like to start over. The only thing was to go on as she had begun. I told you not to be a fool, Randall Thor. You might have tyrants bowing to your boots, but I remember when Nynaeve switched her bottom for letting Matt talk you into stealing a jar of apple brandy. Elaine had to keep her face carefully composed, but it was plain Egwene that she wanted to laugh out loud. Rand didn't seem to notice. Men never did. Turn about. He grins at Egwene, about to laugh, and he's like, well, we had just turned 13. She found us asleep behind your father's stable, and our heads hurt so much we didn't even feel her switch. That's not the way Egwene recalled it. But then, he continues, not like when you threw that bowl at her head, remember? She dosed you with dog dogweed tea because you had been moping about for a week, and as soon as you tasted it, you hit her with her best bowl. Light, did you squeal? When was that? Two years ago, come this? Egwene's like, ah, we're not here to talk about me. <laughs> we're here to talk about you. <laughs> um, but even with the scarf and it being thin wool, it was still really hot. He did have the habit of remembering the most unfortunate things. But he grins like he knows what's going on. Went about on a better humor and he's like, well, you're here to help me, you say. How? I don't suppose you know how to make High Lord keep his word when I'm not staring over his shoulder. Or how to stop unwanted dreams. I could usually use help with... Uh... He looks over to Elaine and back to her. He's like, well, what about the old tongue? Did you learn any of that in the White Tower? But he doesn't wait for an answer and just starts looking through books. And he's like, I have a copy here somewhere of... He's like, Rand, I cannot read the old tongue. He looks. She looks over at Elaine like, don't you dare say anything. And he's like, we hadn't come here to translate the prophecies of the dragon for him. The sapphires and the daughter's hair swayed as she nodded in agreement. Well, we had other things to learn. Well, some of you. He straightens and he's like, ah, well, it was too much to hope. But then they're like... We came to help you with channeling, with the power. And Moraine claimed it was supposed to be true. A woman could not teach a man any more than she could teach him how to bear a child. It's one way to put it. <laughs> but Egwene wasn't sure. She had felt something woven from Sidene once. Or rather, she had felt something blocking her own flows as surely as a stone dammed water. But there's a lot she's learned out of the tower, and... Her knowledge has been increased since then, so maybe there's something she could teach him, at least some guidance. And Elaine's like, well, if we can. But suspicion flashes across his face, and he's like, well, I have more chance of reading the old tongue than you do. Are you sure this isn't what Moraine's doing? Does she send you here? Think you can convince me a roundabout way, does she? Twisty eyes that I plot, I'll not see the point of until I'm mired in it. He's like, I agreed to meet some more of the High Lords, pulling on a coat. If I don't keep an eye on them... I'll just find a way to get around what I want. They'll learn sooner or later. I rule fear now. Me, the Dragon Reborn. I will teach them. You'll have to excuse me. Egwene wanted to shake him. He's like, he ruled here? Well, maybe he did, if it actually came to that. But she remembered a boy with lamb nestled inside of his coat, proud as a rooster because he had driven off the wolf that had tried to take it. He was a shepherd, not a king. 
And even if he had called to give him airs, there's no good to him that he did. But I love this little this little bit because it's it's talking about like, you know, she remembered a boy with a lamb nestled inside of his coat, proud as a rooster because he had driven off the wolf that tried to take it. Where it goes back to that innocent country bumpkin, that's that naivete where it's like he was just so happy in the simple things. And now he's put in this tough position. And it's just like he went from a shepherd to a king in like a really short period of time where most people would not be able to go through that. Like 99.9999, probably infinity, would not be able to experience the turnabout he did in the time period that is past. Like in less than a year, he went from being a shepherd with no problems in the world and then all of a sudden bam he's ruling tier which is a whole other nation on the other side of the world <laughs> so but she's gonna tell him it's like you know it's not good to act like you're a king but elaine's like no one sent us no one came we we came because we care about you and maybe it won't work but you can try if I, or we, cared enough to try, you can too. Is it that unimportant that you cannot spare us an hour for your life? And he's buttoning up his coat, but then he stops and stares at Elaine so intently that Egwene thought she'd pretty much forgotten he was there. But with a shiver, he pulls his eyes away and glances at Egwene. and was like, oh, I'll try. It won't do any good, but, you know, what do you want me to do? Egwene draws in a breath, and she's like, well, I didn't think it would be this easy to convince him. He'd been more like a boulder buried in mud when he had decided to dig his heels in, but he does that too often. And she tells him to look at her. She embraces Sidar. And here we get to learn a little bit about the process, or I should say the effects. She let the power fill her as completely as ever. More completely accepting every drop she could hold. It was as if light suffused every particle of her, as if the light itself filled every cranny. Life seemed to burst inside her like fireworks. She had never before let this much in. It was a shock to realize she was not quivering. Surely she could not bear this glorious sweetness. She wanted to revel in it, to dance and to sing, to simply lie back and let it roll through her, over her. So that's kind of the feeling the woman gets when she opens herself to Sidar. To be fair, I don't think she's actually grabbed it yet. Or maybe no. No? Okay, she did. Um, I just want to be sure because sometimes the embracing of Sidar and the opening up to Sidar are two different things. And... Sometimes they overlap each other a little too much. So, to be fair, <laughs> cut me some slack. Um, like, okay, Rand, look at me. What do you see? What do you feel? He frowned. He's like, well, I see you. Are you touching the source? Maureen has channeled around me a hundred times, and I never saw anything except what she did. I, I know that doesn't work that way. And she's like, I, I am stronger than Maureen. Like, that matters. Um... She'd be whimpering on the floor and insensible if she tried to hold as much as I hold now. And it was true, though she hadn't really rated Moraine's ability so closely. And it was calling to her to be used, pulsating through her stronger than heart blood. With this, she could do things Moraine could not dream of doing. But the wound in Rand's eye that Moraine could never heal completely. 
She didn't know healing, but it was considerably more complex than anything she had ever done. So this is something where, again, it points out the volume that she can bring in. It's like, Moraine couldn't do the things I do because she'd be whimpering and spazzing out on the floor. Except Moraine has skill, which Egwene does not. So having immense amount of power gets you only so far where skill gets you more. Now, from what we have of Nynaeve, Nynaeve is more powerful than Egwene and Elaine and Moraine, but she doesn't have skill on every week. But she does have skill with healing, albeit we don't know how or why. <laughs> she just does. So, but Egwene doesn't know healing, and she'd watched Nynaeve heal once, but it was a bit too more too complex for her. But with this great pool of power filling her, she's like, well, maybe I could see something of healing. But not do it, but just see. So she carefully pulls out these hair-fine flows of air, water, and spirit. The powers used for healing. So air, water, and spirit are what you use for healing. So she reaches out and touches his old injury. One touch and she recoiled, shivering, snatching back her weaving. Her stomach churned as if every meal she'd ever eaten wanted to come up. It's like the dull the darkness of the world rested there inside the wound on Rand's side. All the all the festering sore lightly covered by a tender scar. Just a the world's evil, just hidden by a scar tissue. It's like that would soak appealing flows like drops of water in dry sand. How could he bear the pain? Why was he not weeping? But Thought to action had only taken a moment, and then she's like, well, you're as strong as I, I know it, you must be. Feel, Rand, what do you feel? It's like, like, what can heal that? Anything? I do find it's like, you're as strong as I, like, she has no idea how strong. But she doesn't bother explaining to him the difference between channeling and merely embracing the true source. There was much he did not know, even compared to her scant knowledge. But he was a blind man trying to work a loom by touch, with no idea of colors or what the threads or even the loom looked like. So she released Sidar with an effort. <clears throat> it was definitely a struggle. And she wanted to cry at the loss. And she's like, I'm not touching the source now, Rand. Do you still feel goosebumps? He's like, well, no, that's just because you told me. See, I started thinking about it, and I have them again. And Egwene smiled triumphantly, and she didn't have to look at Elaine to confirm that she already sensed. They had agreed upon early at this point. It's like, oh, you can sense women embracing the source, Rand. Elaine's doing that right now. He squints at the daughter Aaron. and he's like, Huh? She's like, it doesn't matter what you see or don't see. You felt it. We have that much. Let's see what else we can find. Rand, can you embrace the source? Embrace Sidene. They had agreed on this, but her being, or I should say they being Elaine and herself, but he was Rand, not a monster from the stories, and they had agreed to it, but asking a man to, you know, surprisingly she got all the words out. I was like, do you see anything? Is she talking to Elaine or feel anything? And Rand just Doled out glances, just staring at the floor and sometimes blushing. It's like, what was what was going on with him? But Elaine shakes her head. He's like, well, he could just be standing there for all I can tell. Are you sure he's doing anything? It's like, he can be stubborn, but he isn't foolish. At least he isn't foolish most of the time. And she's like, well, stubborn or foolish, I don't feel anything. And Grant's like, well, you said you, you, said you do it as I asked, Rand. Are you, if you felt something, you know, so should I, and I do not, and then she stifles a yelp, and something had, something, 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 had pinched her bottom, and Rand's lips twitched, clearly fighting a grin, and she's like, that was not nice. 
he's trying to keep his face innocent and he's like well you said you wanted to feel something and i just thought and then he suddenly roars which makes a gwen jump and claps a hand to his left buttock and he hobbles in pain and blood and ashes Egwene. there was no need to he falls into deeper inaudible mutters which Egwene was glad she didn't understand she took the opportunity to flap the scarf for a little bit of air but she smiles at the lane the glow faded around the daughter air and they both came close to giggling and rubbing themselves surreptitiously that would show him about a hundred for one but then rand is becomes her main focus again and he's like i would have expected something like that from matt i thought you had at least grown up we came here to help you to cooperate do something with the power something that isn't childish maybe we'll be able to sense that but he glares at them he's like do something you had no call to i'll limp for you want me to do something suddenly Elaine and Gawain are lifted into the air, staring at each other wide-eyed, as if they floated a pace above the carpet. There's nothing holding them. No flows Gawain could feel or see. Nothing. Her mouth tightened. He had no right to do this. I mean, to be fair, you did tell him to do something, so he does, technically. No right at all, and it was time he learned it. The same sort of shield of spirit that cut joy off from the source should stop him. I said I used it on the rare men they found who could channel. And she opened herself to Sidar, but her stomach stank. 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 <laughs> yeah, her stomach stank, too. Sidar was there, and she could feel the warmth of light, but between her and the true source stood something. Nothing. An empty absence that shut her away from the source like a stone wall. She shielded. <laughs> That's the gist of it. And a man was channeling, and she was caught in it. And he's Rand, obviously, but dinking there like, like a basket. Helpless, all she could think of was a man channeling, and he had the taint on Sidene. She tried to shout at him, but all that came out was a croak. He's like, you want me to do something? And a pair of small tables flexed their legs awkwardly with the wood creaking and began to stumble about like a stiff parody of a dance with guilt flaking off and falling. Do you like this? Fire flares up on the fireplace, filling the hearth from side to side, burning on a stone of bare of ashes. Or this? And the tall stag and the wolves about the fireplace begin to soften and slump. Thin streams of gold and silver flowed into the mass, finding down to the shining threads, snaking, weaving themselves into a narrow sheet of metallic cloth. The length of glittering fabric hung in the air as it grew, its far end still linked to the slowly melting statuette on the stone mantel. Do something. Do something. Do you have any idea what it's like to touch Sidene? To hold it? Do you? I can feel the madness waiting, seeping into me. And abruptly, the capering tables burst into flame like torches dancing still. And the books spun into the air, pages fluttering. The mattress on the bed erupted, showering feathers across the room like snow. Feathers falling onto the burning tables filled the room with their sharp, sooty stink. Then Rand stares wildly at the blazing tables, and whatever was holding Egwene and Elaine vanished along with the shield. And their heels thumped onto the carpet at the same instant the flames went out as if sucked into the wood they had been consuming. The blaze in the fireplace winked out as well, and the books fell to the floor in a worse jumble than before. The length of a gold and silver cloth dropped, too, along with strands of roughly melted metal, no longer liquid or even hot. Only three largest lumps, two silver and one gold, remained on the mantle, cold and unrecognizable. Egwene staggered into a lane as they landed, and they clutched each other for support, but Egwene felt the other one doing exactly what she was doing, which was embracing Sidar as they could. In moments, they had a shield ready to throw around Rand if he even appeared to be channeling, which obviously they wouldn't have any idea how to know that. But he just stood stunned, staring at the charred tables with feathers, flecking his coat. He didn't seem to be a danger, but the room was certainly a mess, and she rove tiny weaves of air to pull all the floating feathers together, those already on the carpet as well. 
As an afterthought, she added those on its coat. The rest, you'd have to have the Mahir, lady basically who runs all, runs the stone, servants and everything. Um, the Mahir could straighten her seat to himself, and he flinches, and they all fall on top of the mattress that's ruined. He's like, well, the Mahir might not want to give me another. He's strained. He's like, a mattress a day is probably more than she is willing to. He avoids looking at either of the girls. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. Sometimes it just runs wild. Sometimes there's nothing when I reach for it, and sometimes it does things I don't. I'm sorry. Maybe you should go. I seem to say that a lot. And he blushes, and he's like, I'm not touching the source, but maybe you'd best go. And Egwene's like, well, we're not done yet. She wants to box his ears, but she's being gentle about it. So like picking her up like that, shielding her, and Elaine, but he was already on the edge. And what she didn't know, she didn't want to find out. And definitely not here, and not now. With so many exclaiming over their strength, everyone said she and Elaine would be among the strongest eyes to die, if not the strongest, in a thousand years or more. She had assumed they were as strong as he. Near to it, at least. She had just been rudely disabused. Perhaps Nynaeve could come close if she was angry enough, but Egwene knew she herself could never have done what he just did. Split her flows that many ways, work that many things at once. Work two flows at once was far more than twice as hard as working at some of the magnitude. And working three much more than twice again, working two, he had to have been weaving a dozen. He didn't even look tired, but exertion with the power took energy. But he had begun weaving a dozen. He didn't look tired yet. So she feared he would handle her and Elaine both like kittens, that he might decide to drown if he goes mad. But she can't walk away. Elaine's blue eyes were filled with determination, and the moment Egwene felt silent, she added in a much firmer voice, like, well, we're not going to go until, you know, we are. And you said you'd at least try. You gotta try. And he's like, well, I did say that, didn't I? At least we could sit down. So, not looking at the blackened tables or the band of metallic cloth lying crumpled in the carpet, he led them, limping slightly, to the high-backed chairs near the windows. They had to move books from red silk cushions to sit. Egwene's chair held, and here's a couple book names, Volume 12 of the Treasures of the Stone of Tear. This might give you an idea of what's going through Rand's head, just FYI. A dusty wood-bound book entitled Travels in the Aeol Waste with Various Observations on the Savage Inhabitants. Another book, a thick, leather, a thick tattered leather volume called Dealings with the Territory of Mayan, 500 to 750 of the New Era. Do with that as you will. So, Elaine had a bigger stack to move, but Rand took them from her and, you know, put them on the floor where the pile just falls over. Egwene sets her as neatly on the floor. He's like, all right, what do you want me to do? I promise I won't do anything but what you asked this time. And Egwene almost thought of telling him that, you know, that promise is a little bit late. <laughs> but maybe, you know, she'd been a little vague in what she asked for, but that was not no excuse. I don't know if the excuse is for her or for him, but, you know, well, whatever, we'll deal with it a different time. She's like, okay, this time we just want you to talk. How do you embrace the source? Just take a step by step. So, well, more like wrestling than embrace. Now, this is this is the viewpoint of a man channeling. More like wrestling than embracing. Step by step. Well, first I imagine a flame, and then I push everything into it. Hate, fear, nervousness, everything. 
When they're all consumed, there's an emptiness, a void inside my head. I am in the middle of it, but I am a part of whatever I'm concentrating on to. Wayne's like, well, that's similar to something I heard about your father talking. And, you know, this the, he called it the flame in the void. And he uses it to win archery competitions. Now, this is an interesting thing because we've talked about the flame in the void before. But I, I do think it's important to, to mention this where the flame in the void is something of what you would consider uh, a professional soldier technique, if you will, or a master soldier technique. And you don't have to necessarily be a soldier to use it, but it does make you a higher tier soldier, typically by default. So what happens is that the flame in the void is a concentration technique. And for Rand trying to learn the sword, he's learning from a blade master, a.k.a. Lan. And Lan's arguably the best blade master in the world as far as we know and in the training you learning the forms and stuff like that's moderately simple but we become a blade master which is what Rand's sword tells him he is because his father's sword he still needs to have the training now normally for a blade master it would take a long time to become a blade master but with Tam teaching him as he was growing up about the Flame and the Void, he learned what would be considered the hardest part of this. So the hardest part would be learning the Flame and the Void. Because learning the, to control your emotions, to control yourself, and to allow yourself to be empty of anything but the here and now, but the actual conflict, or whatever it could be. I mean, you can use it technically for a lot of different things. It doesn't have to be just specifically for fighting. But it lets you focus and lets you hone in on a particular target in some shape or form. So, in this regard, he learned through Tam the difficult part. The rest of it was just learning the forms and stuff that he spent months training with Lan on. So, don't be the person who's like, well, they didn't have a reason to like, he has no right to be a Blade Master. And he's gotten the blade master training his entire life albeit he didn't know the first half of it the second half of it he he did he was kind of aware of it so it's it's not a mary sue type thing where he just poof has all this knowledge and poof has all the skill he like actually legitimately trained for it he's like well um yeah it's it's the flame of the void it's like tam taught it to me first lan uses it too with a sword Celine, you know, someone I met, called it the oneness. So, flame in the void, oneness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, a lot of people seem to know about it, whatever they call it, but I found out for myself when I was inside the void. I could feel Sidene, like a light just beyond the corner of my eye in the emptiness. There's nothing but me in that light. Emotion, even though, or even thought, is outside. I used to have to take it bit by bit, but it all comes at once now. Most of it does, anyway. Most of the time. And Lane is just shivering, just going, oh, emptiness, no emotion. That does sound, doesn't sound very much like we do at all. And Gwen's like, yeah, it does. Ran, we just do it a little differently. I imagine myself to be a flower, a rosebud. Imagine it until I am the rosebud, just like your void. In a way, the rosebud's petal open out to the light of Sidar, and I let it fill me. All light and warmth and life and wonder. I surrender to it, and by surrendering to it, I control it. 
That was obviously the hardest part to learn. But, you know, mastering side R by submitting. But it seems natural now that you don't even think about it, you know. I mean, I'm sure you must learn to surrender. And he's like shaking his head like, no, 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 no. It's like, that's nothing like what I do. Let it fill me. I have to reach out and take a hold of Sidene. Sometimes there's nothing there when I do. Nothing I can touch. But if I didn't reach for it, I could stand there forever and nothing would happen. It fills me all right once I take hold, but surrender to it? Egwene, if I surrendered, even for a minute, Sidene would consume me. It's like a river of molten metal, an ocean of fire, all that light of the sun gathered in one spot, and I must fight it to make it do what I want. Fight it to keep it from being eating up. He sighs and is like, well, I know what you mean by life-filling, you know? The, the taint turned my stomach, but colors are sharper, smells are clearer, everything is more real somehow, and I don't want to let it go once I have it, even while it's trying to swallow me. But the rest of it, you know, Tower's right about this, except it for truth, because it is. Now, the, ex the explanation of the, like, the river of molten, the ocean of fire, and the sun all in one spot, you know, fighting to keep it up, that's how men deal with Sidene, where, from Egwene's perspective, becoming the rosebud, imagining yourself as the rosebud. It's similar, but still a different concept. So, you know, she's like, well, I accept it when I, it's proven to me. So can you tell me about the flows? Can you tell the flows apart, like air, water, spirit, earth, fire? And he's like, well, sometimes, not typically, but I I just do what I have to do when I want. I fumble for it mostly. It's a little weird, but sometimes I need to do a thing and I do it, but only afterwards do I know what it was I did or how. It's like remembering something I've forgotten, but how can I remember how to do something, or I can remember then how to do it again, at least most of the time. It's like, well, yet you do remember how. How did you set fire to those tables? And she wants to ask him about the dancing tables, but just the fire part would be okay. And she's like, there might be a way with air and water, but she wanted to start with something simple, lighting a candle, putting it out for things a novice could do. And he has kind of a pained expression. He's like, I, I don't know. When I want fire for a lamp or a fireplace, I just make it. But I do, I do not know how. I don't really need to think to do things with fire. Which pretty stood, stood pretty well to reason. And here we get a little bit of lesson on how this works amongst channelers. Of the five powers, fire and earth had been strongest in men in the Age of Legends, and air and water in women, with spirit being shared equally. Egwene hardly had to think to use air and water when she had learned to do things in the first place, but thought did not further their purpose. But Elaine's like, well, do you know how, how you extinguish them? You seem to think before they went out. It's like, that I remember because I don't believe I've ever done it before. I took the heat from the tables and spread it into the stone in the fireplace. A fireplace wouldn't even notice that much heat. But Elaine gasps, you know, cradling her left arm for a moment, and Egwene winced in sympathy. She remembered when that arm had been a mass of blisters because the daughter heir had done what Rand had just described, and with just a lamp in her room. Shiriam had threatened to let the blisters heal by themselves, but she hadn't done it, but she had threatened. And it was a warning, one of them at least, that novices were given. Never draw heat in. A flame could be extinguished using air or water, but using fire to pull the heat away meant disaster with a flame of any size. It's not a matter of strength, at least what Sherryam had said. Heat once taken in could not be gotten rid of, not by the strongest woman ever to come to the White Tower. Women had actually burst into flames themselves that way. Women had burst into flame. 
Egwene draws a ragged breath, and he's like, well, I think you just proved the dis difference to me. And he's like, oh, what? Does that mean you're ready to give up? He's like, no, 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 no. And she just recognized that basically men who have a natural tendency towards fire and earth and women who have a natural tendency towards air and water, they both do those things typically without thinking. Like, they can easily do them, even in the untrained state. But he does with fire what women try to do and fail miserably and actually could cost them their lives. It's, it's a very interesting thing. Um, but he's like, well, you know, uh, my teachers are right, but, you know, there has to be a way. And like, I can't think of one right now. He's like, well, you tried. I thank you for that, but it's not your fault it didn't work. And Egwene's like, there's got to be a way. And Elaine's like, we will find it. We will. He's like, of course, of course, but not today. I suppose you'd be going. Sounded half regretful, half, half glad. He's like, I do need to tell the High Lords a few things about taxes this morning. They seem they can take as much from a farmer in a poor year as a good without beggaring him. But I suppose you have to get back to questioning those dark friends. But he frowns. He hadn't said anything, but Egwene was sure he would like to keep them as far from the Black Aja as possible. But she was surprised he hadn't already tried to make, make them return to the tower. Maybe he knew that she and Nynaeve would put a flea in his ear the size of a horse if he actually had tried. She's like, well, we do, but not right now. And he's like, Rand. And now the second part of the reason they were here has arrived, but it's a bit more difficult than what she had expected. And this was going to hurt him. The sad, wary eyes convinced her it would. But it had to be done. And she snugged the scarf around her and enveloped her from shoulders to waist. He's like, Rand, I cannot marry you. I know. She blinks. It's like, Han Solo? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> a little pop culture reference. She blinks, and he's like, well, I do not mean to hurt you. I don't, but I do not want to marry you. And he's like, I understand. I know what I am. No woman could. And he's like, no, you wool brain idiot. So it doesn't have anything to do with you channeling. I don't love you, and at least not the way to marry you. And he's like, you don't love me? And his jaw just drops, surprised and hurt when he looked up. She's like, try to understand. People change, Rand. Feelings change. When people are apart, they sometimes grow apart. I love you like I would a brother. Perhaps more than a brother, but not to marry. Can't you understand that? And he's like, well, I really am a fool. I didn't believe you might change. I go, Egwene, I don't want to marry you either. I did not want to change. I didn't try to, but it just happened. If you knew how much this means to me, not having to pretend, not being afraid I'll hurt you. I never wanted to do that, Egwene. Never to hurt you. And she almost smiled. He's putting on such a brave face from her perspective. He was actually quite close to convincing. Again, from her perspective. It's like, I'm glad you're taking this well. I didn't want to hurt you either. And now I must go. You will find someone else. As she, you know, gives him a kiss on the cheek. It's like, of course. With, obviously, the lie loud in his voice. He's like, oh, you will. Now, I'd like to point out, it's like, you know, him saying, you know, oh, I don't have to pretend or anything. He... He has had other women in his life so far, not necessarily in a particular intimate way, but he has had women in his life that it's not like he's completely absent of all female interaction. So it's not like he necessarily is like, oh, hey, I don't have anybody else. But so she slips out of the room and lets it go to Sidar. She takes the scarf from her shoulders. You know, it's abominably hot. But then he, she's thinking that Rand's ready for Elaine to pick him up like a lost puppy. And if she handled in the way that they had discussed, well, 
Elaine would manage them nicely, now and later. For as much later as they had. Something had to be done about his control, but she was willing to admit that she had been what she had been told was right. No woman could teach him. Fish and birds. But she's at least not giving up. Something had to be done, so a way had to be found. The horrible wound and the madness were problems for later, but they would be dealt with eventually. Somehow. Everyone said Two Rivers men were stubborn, but they could not match Two Rivers women. And that's the end of the chapter. Um, I don't know if that's true that men and women are more or less stubborn than the other. I just know that they're both stubborn. Like, there's, there's not really any information about that. Because every instance of men from the Two Rivers, they're stubborn. And every instance of women from the Two Rivers, they're stubborn. So they could both easily be equally stubborn. So do with that as you will. <laughs> but uh, what did you guys think of the chapter? Um, it's a little informative about Sidar and Sidene and... We learned a little bit about the Aiel. We learned a little bit about Rand's plans, if you recall. The little nippets we got. And also, Moraine kind of was leading into certain things as well in prior uh, chapters slash episodes. Um, so, yeah. Figuring out that men can't teach women and women can't teach men. Because they're very different in how they do things. Where one embraces, one combats which if you think about it from a perspective of the one power and how Robert Jordan wrote the series with them being a compliment to each other so men compliment women women compliment men um, and that backs up the fire and earth being man's specialty and water and air being women's specialty with spirit being shared between them equally and if you took like a yin yang single symbol that they use for the eyes to die with the two teardrops, uh, the white and the black teardrop. You have Sidene being the black teardrop and the Sidar being the white teardrop. They they fit into place. So the best way I could describe it is if you have the full circle, which is both of the teardrops connected. You've got the black being fire and earth as more of a focus. I'm not saying that that's, it's not exclusive to Sidene, but it's specialized. So fire and earth being on the black teardrop and water and air being on the white teardrop, and then the middle line between them being essentially spirit. Something they share equal ability in. Um, so we learn those types of things, but it also fits in these situations where uh, the one power was designed for men and women to work together to make a better outcome. So if a man channels by himself and a woman channels by herself, uh, they're more powerful when they put themselves together, which you'd expect more or less that something would be like boosted a little bit, but it's from what I understand it's boosted magnitudes above what either one full power, even if you took like if a man's full power was 10 and a woman's full power was eight, you expect putting them together makes an 18. No, no, it's like a 30 or a 40. Like it, it, it scales up greatly. And despite the man having the more power, linking would require a woman to run the link. So she's directing the flows and everything. So it's like this complementarian system where the man might be stronger. Like, for example, Rand. If Rand and Egwene and uh, Elaine were in a link system, if they knew how to, which I don't believe at this point either of them know what a link is, 
Um, but if they were to link, um, RAN would provide the strongest amount of channeling. And Egwene and Elaine would have a bit, like, very strong as well, because they're both really strong for women. Uh, but their the amount that they could do combined would be great, but either Elaine or Egwene would have to be the ones accepting the actual ability. So... But that's, it's, it's a fun little interesting piece about it, so let me know what you guys thought of that. Um, we have... What do we got? What do we got? Chapter 8 coming up. Chapter 8. It's going to be fun. Um, yeah. Hopefully you guys will join me for the next one. Uh, you can reach out to me on Twitter slash X. Um, tale, or at Tales of a Red Arm. You can also reach me on Facebook, which is uh, Tales of a Red Arm. And uh, both of those should have links to the Discord if you would like to join in and be able to text chat more consistently or verbally chat. If you have questions, I'd love to answer your questions. I really do enjoy talking about with the time if you hadn't noticed. And uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's going to be uh, a lot of fun in that. Um, Discord is kind of small, but I'd like to add more people to it and have more chats and stuff. Um, also. Uh, if you can't access the Discord that way, or you would like to just get in touch with me directly, you can reach to me, reach out to me at talesofredarm at gmail.com, and I'll be happy to answer your questions or hear what your thoughts are on the podcast and all these little details. Um, let me know what you guys think. Um, I'm not sure exactly like all the the craziness aspect of uh, how busy I get, but I typically will respond in whatever way I can, usually within a day, uh, sooner if I am able to, but if I'm at work or something, obviously I'll get back to you as soon as I can. So anyway, thanks everybody for hanging out. And I sure hope you guys will join me for the next chapter until then. We drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will send our pay and when we're done then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall and struggle the girls be they short or tall and follow young Matt wherever he goes to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall and struggle the girls be they short or tall then follow Lord Matt Wherever he calls to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll give a yell with a bloody curse and hug the maids, it could be worse. Let's ride away with the dark woods first to dance with Jack of the Shadows. Yeah. 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 Yeah.